thank you, Lord, for this generation, O God. I thank you for the generation before us. That you're able, Lord, in this hour to meet every need. And they don't stand once against the other. But by faith and the work of Jesus Christ, you have brought all men, every blood, nation, every tribe, every color, all together in one faith. At all times, we worship you and thank you for making us one body. We thank you for your word who outlives heaven and earth. We stand upon this word today, O God. With a society that is changing, you never change. With those who waver, we never waver knowing you have us in your hand. We thank you for being God. We thank you for being the lover of us first. You're our first love. Teach us how to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, if you would please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 4. And for those who like to tease me, not only here and abroad, I do have some notes today. I'm excited to share the Word of God with you this morning. And. Um, I spent uh, Friday evening, it was after midnight, in a prayer meeting with some college students in Pittsburgh, and I'm never more encouraged uh, concerning this generation than now. They are biblically sound, they are Jesus-focused, and they are gospel-supported. And boy, it's a joy to pray with them. And I'll tell you, when they start praying in those altars, and we, uh, we meet at different locations. It's for the event in November. Uh, this week we were at Countryside Christian Church. Uh, each week we move uh, different areas of Pittsburgh. And uh, I couldn't be more excited for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and more confident of what He's doing in this next generation. Amen? I'm also, as you heard in my prayer, extremely grateful for the generation that's before us. And uh, knowing that God is able to bridge the gap not only between Gentile and Jew, but He's also able to bridge the gap between generations in a changing environment. And I won't say much about this, as you already know, there's great persecution coming in the future on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in America. And this will work always for the good of God. Under pressure, the church has always done the best. This morning, I would like to share with you, as we read the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, a very common text. We'll start in verse 1, read through verse 13. We'll be reading concerning what is called the temptation of Jesus Christ. And then after that, I would like to give you six ways and seasons in which the enemy will begin to come after your faith or after your life. So I want you to be able to defend yourself and be aware that in certain seasons we are more vulnerable if we not, are not equipped with the whole armor of God. And can I say, uh, for not only your sake, but for the sake of the tape, there's been a lot of feedback on a few weeks ago we preached on the shield of faith and being strong in the Lord. 
the whole armor of God amounts and equals this, Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not anything superstitious. It is simply the truths of the Word of God and the work of Jesus in our life. But it's a way to break it down and see how it affects us individually and physically, spiritually, emotionally. So if you would, uh, please read with me. If not, if you do not have a Bible, I'll read to you. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How does that make you feel? He's full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Watch this, verse 2. Being tempted 40 days of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended afterwards, he was hungry. Wouldn't you be hungry after 40 days? Especially when the devil's the only one there trying to whisper in your ear. How would you do? Amen. Verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, not you are, but if you are, it's the same language at the cross of Christ by one of the malefactors. If you are the Son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. He doesn't do it here. He does it later. Not before a devil, but before those who need to see the power of God. Verse 4. Jesus answered him saying, It is written. And this is really the subject matter of my message this morning. It is written. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up into the high mountain and showed to him all the kingdoms, especially of the Roman Empire, not only the world, in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will be given to you and the glory of them, for that is delivered to me, and whomsoever I will give it, if you therefore will worship me and be mine. I'm sorry, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get behind me, Satan. And he says it again, For it is written. You shall not worship the Lord your God. I'm sorry, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down. Here we go. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep you. Look at the way the enemy twists the truth. Verse 11. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest at any time you shall dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And last but not least, when the devil had ended all his temptation, he departed from him for a, would you say that last word with me, season. The last verse again, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Okay. So in this text, you have the temptation of Christ. You have him led by the Spirit into play. He's not tempted of God. He's tempted of the devil. And if you're going to be tempted, you also would be tempted by the devil. The devil's going to try you. He's an accuser of the brethren. He is trying your faith. He will accuse you before God day and night. It's what he's made to do. He's a liar from the beginning. He's always been a liar. And all that comes out of his mouth is a lie. So I definitely, as pastor, uh, would like to equip you with some ways to be aware. In certain seasons, we are more vulnerable. It's more likely. It's not exclusive to these seasons. There may be others. I'm not sure we can cover all six. But there are seasons in your life 
when certain things by the adversary will uh, begin to uh, have an atmosphere that will give them a seeming credibility if you're just thinking about it naturally. But if you begin to do what Jesus did here, he knew what was written. 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 Heaven and earth shall pass away. He said, my word shall never pass away. I read to you today out of the word of God. He inspired men by the Holy Spirit. Wrote, I'm unapologetic, I'm happy, I'm blessed, and I'm thankful that I am a Southern Baptist pastor in the United States of America today. Amen. Amen. We stand on the Word of God. It is the final truth. It's all truth. It's infallible. Amen. That's where we stand. Amen? And regardless of what society does, our truths will be based upon the Bible. There may be different preferences for many things in the church concerning the church. One thing will never change in this church. Amen. There's many men ahead of me who also had in support of being the pastor, the under-shepherd of the body, have supported and built upon the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a rock you can build on. How many of you would agree? It's a day, we need, a, we need an hour when we are promoting once again and not taking for granted the Word of God. Amen. And then God gives us strength. So as we was in Ephesians 6 a few weeks ago, finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. If you know what His Word says and you're able to stand on it, He'll make you a promise in the night season. He'll make you a comfort when you didn't think you could be comforted. He'll cause even the most harsh circumstances to be the time and hour in which you grow the greatest. Amen. The most fertile times of your life may be the times was the most troublesome. And this is when your life is built upon the rock of Christ and knowing the Word of God. God is not... Uh, like the sorcerers, the magicians, all of these things. We have the Word of God that tries what we hear, what we know to be true. We have, we have a way and a standard to say, this is truth against everything else that moves. This is the standard. One analogy I like to use is that if you've ever been to a stoplight and you've maybe looked down, you don't look down at your phone while you're in the car, do you? I'm really, I'm becoming more and more concerned about this, but anyway, uh, for myself. I am. I'm really, I'm like, I need to repent of that. Amen. I mean, it's, wow. Okay. But have you ever been to the stoplight and your head's down? Maybe you're looking or you're whatever and you're waiting. You're just not paying attention to everything. But your first glimpse of what's around you, you the, the immediate thing was something's moving. And your first response probably is, smash the brake real fast. Because as far as you know, you were moving. But if you ever hit the brake and find out, you weren't going anywhere. Amen. That the car next to you was moving. Are you with me? Now, for just a moment, your heart raced. Something was moving. Are you with me? It just wasn't you. And maybe if you couldn't find the car that wasn't moving, there's some stationary things you can look to to see what's moving. Because maybe in your life you're in a season where a lot is moving around. 
but you're not sure, and I am going to direct you as pastor to the Word of God and say to you, it never moves. It's like, I mean, I can look to a telephone pole that's do- drove like six, seven, eight, nine feet in the ground. It's not moving. I can at least, while something's moving, look to the post and determine, is it me, the car next to me? And in this generation, we have never needed a standard anymore. More, there's never been a standard greater than the Word of God that we need in this generation to determine what is moving around us today. Amen. Would you agree with me? Something's moving. And the Word of God has a way of driving a stake deep into the soil of your own heart and your own understanding. He calls it the anchor of the soul. And it's able in the times of trouble as you cast the Word of God and begin to read. And you're thinking at times, I don't understand any of this. You ever done that? You ever read and thought, man, I don't understand anything I'm reading? And then get in one of those seasons of your life just down the road and what you read and you go back over it and wow, it just comes out and the Holy Spirit wants to show you and let you build and believe that. And it might might hold you through some of the darkest times of your life, also your most joyous times of your life. I would like to get on with this because I have six areas of our life that I believe strongly are seasons in which we could be vulnerable to the adversary. And if we're talking about equipping ourselves with the work of Christ, which is the armor of God, above all, it's the shield of faith. And I can say to you, if above all things you're not sure, everything seems to be moving, if you'll hold the shield of faith in front of you, it will quench all the fiery darts of the adversary. Amen. Your faith is a victory that overcomes the world. Amen. Okay. Without faith, it's impossible. To please God. It's not hard to please God. It's impossible without faith. But the saint must know that we are in a battle. There's never been a more fierce war, one more bloody than the one for your soul and the souls of your children and the generation behind you. This is a war, and Paul the Apostle said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The shield, he said, I've always kept it there. It may not have been easy. There are times when you battle for a while, and the first thing I would let down, and naturally speaking, would be that heavy shield that covers my whole body. But you must at all times hold the shield of faith. The first area, the first season... I believe that would allow us to be vulnerable is when we are a new convert. When we're newly converted to Christ. I had a young man the other night that wanted to spend some time after the prayer meeting. He's, he's two years old in God. And he said, I've never been discipled. And I seen that he was so vulnerable. There are so many things that will try you when you're a new convert. And the pattern, I want to use Scripture because in all of these points, I want to show you scripturally that this has actually happened. The adversaries tried this. Now watch here. If you, let's just go to it. And if we don't get through all six, we just don't. Is that okay? We'll do it next week. If you'll go to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, I want to show you a time, at least when it comes to infancy, how vulnerable sometimes we can be. Chapter 2 and verse 16 of the book of Matthew says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth or mad. And he sent forth and he slew the children that were in Bethlehem 
and all in the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. I want to use this pattern for one reason. Herod was being used by the adversary to try to eliminate the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And because he couldn't identify exactly where he was or who he was at this point, he couldn't get his hands on him, he decided he would kill everyone of two years and under. Now, would you say with me that a new convert of two years and under could be more vulnerable? I mean, if you're a new convert, I pray that every night there's a discipline or every morning in your life in the Word of God so that you have a place to stand against this attack. I believe we're very vulnerable in the early stages. If you think of a baby in its infancy, it is so needy. And so the milk of the Word of God is being given to the infant Christian. It's being chewed up. And sometimes I don't want you to be discouraged when you think, I don't understand all this. Chew on these. Take one verse and think about that all week long if you need to. Chew on that verse like you would give a baby a pacifier. I mean... My children aren't in here. They're, uh, yeah, Malachi is. Okay, he can't escape. Dad's preaching today. But Malachi doesn't have a pacifier today. Amen. I'm sorry, bud. You're the only one left. I would do this with Isaiah, but he's not here to. Amen. But today he doesn't do a pacifier, and neither does Isaiah, who's five years old. But when they were little, there was this pacifying. And God has a way of comforting you when you're a new convert and allowing you to eat these small pieces. I don't expect the newborn babes to be doing the chores that Malachi does on the farm. Amen. But in that infancy, you are vulnerable. If you see here, Herod would have liked to have taken Christ out at any cost when he's early. And the power and the work of a new convert is so incredible. If you've ever watched someone naturally be drawn to babies, have you ever watched this? Uh, last week, there was a young lady here with a new baby, man, new baby. I mean, didn't look, what, two months old? Hmm? Three? Weeks. And everybody, did you notice this? She's right here. And I noticed at the end of the service, everyone's like, oh, the baby, the baby. Are you with me? Now, I was doing it too, like, oh, man, I wish we still had another baby on. <laughs> it's when I figure out my classmates have grandchildren that I figure out I'm not going to have any more babies. In my days of all that. But, you know, this love for these babies, everyone wants to get around the baby. And when we had children, we noticed everyone wants to touch them and kiss You don't want them to. You know what I mean? You kind of want to like, yuck. You know, you don't know where, you know what I mean? They want to touch them and, and, but, but the reality is a new convert's so exciting also. But can I say to you, the devil, I believe you're vulnerable as a, as a new convert. The devil at all costs would love to take you completely out. And he'll use any measure the way he was using Herod. He'll kill everything around them to try to kill it if he could. This new convert is such a fresh thing, a new thing that God has done, just sweet and precious. I mean, the, when you're first, do you remember the time you were first born again? If, if you've served God for a long time, do you remember when you were born again fresh? And what has changed between, I mean, that's that first love stuff where Jesus made you white like snow. Amen. And so if you have children, I know I'm being very, I'm trying to be very practical today. Children, I have children, and I, I don't mind them engaging some, but I want to make sure they don't get overthrown in an area. Are you with me? Like when Hannah came home as a freshman and she said the atheists were taking me to task in the math class. 
I didn't mind it for a while, but I knew there was a limit she could handle. And about 30 days in, my first response was, oh, really, that sounds good to Dad. You better figure out where you stand. Amen. And then after a while, I could see her become a little weary with it, and then we started the defense of what the Word of God said. And then she felt 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Amen. Isn't it amazing how the Word of God will stand up, the new convert, and, and out of the wisdom comes out of the mouth of babes? I mean, God is able just to do this pure thing, and we never want to get far from that, no matter how long we've served, to remember what pure, fresh thing God has done. Amen. But I say, we need to guard the new convert, help them, equip them with the what? Word of God. In the generation we live in, if we're not careful, we will try to equip them with all kind of preferences. And then we'll ask them, like, what do you like? And if we're not careful, we'll be, we'll be moved by every wind of doctrine. And all of a sudden, the parent's not the parent, but the child's the parent. And it's dangerous ground not only for the family, but the church. Amen? And so the pastor is always to equip the people with the Word of God. Kind of like a father equips children. Amen? Okay, are you starting to see it? But we can be vulnerable there. So what are we pacifying the new convert with? Do you know it's not just the pastor's job to take care of new converts? Can I ask you, the last converts, would you allow, and I just say this in humility, as you see new people among us and new converts come, maybe God had put upon your heart to just link up with that one. Maybe there'd be two or three in the congregation, link up with them, give them a hand, see where they're at. Are you with me? Amen. So I believe that when you are a new convert, we see by the work in the Word of God that Herod, while it was young, wanted to kill him. If he can kill the new convert, he has stopped the glorious life. He has stopped so much. Think about your own life and what God has done through you. I know that when He's seen me, when He's seen you, He didn't choose us because we were wonderful. He chose us because He is so great and so glorious that He can show the whole world for eternity that God can take weakness and brokenness and and show who He is in it. That is wonderful, isn't it? That God doesn't need to find someone great. He doesn't say, hey, I need Aaron to preach because he's got kind of a charismatic personality. That's not why God... Listen, there was no good thing in my flesh for God. Except the resurrection of Christ could come forth, there's still nothing good to offer. Amen. Okay. Number two. When a Christian is under great affliction, it makes you vulnerable to the adversary. Great afflictions of your life... I mean the kind of things that are life-changing in this affliction time. And listen, some affliction comes upon all mankind. Are you with me? Fire, flood, disaster, death, sickness, sorrow, pain of life. I mean, some of this is coming upon all men. But the Christian is vulnerable in their faith during the time of great affliction. If you think of Job... Job was a man who God just had so much pleasure in. But it wasn't until Job's home was affected, until Job's children were affected, and Job's health was affected, that you could see the affliction and the vulnerability of this man as the adversary began to sneak himself up close 
to them in this time. And for years as I preached on the street and the treatment centers, I learned one thing, that if the home was broken, it greatly weakens our ability to rest as we want to fight the battle. And so I just say this because I'm actually dealing now with many situations abroad and up close where there is a great affliction and I want them to be equipped with the Word of God. And so God is able in these times to comfort you in a way nobody else can comfort you. And I pray that if you are enduring a hard fight of affliction right now, whether it be in your home, in your health, with your children, I think these are three that greatly affect us, that you can't live in this life without these hitting us hardest in life. It's in these times when you've been hit hard by this, that then this slivering serpent loves to sneak himself close and start whispering in your ear. We will find out there's never been a time in our life where we needed the, the validity of the Word of God, the solidarity of the work of Jesus Christ, and the power and the boldness of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit to get next to us and in our our life and in our ear so that we have the help God wants us to have in that time. He's not leaving us there with no help. He's your ever-present help in the time of need. And the darker it gets in those situations, the closer as you draw nigh to God, He draws nigh to you. This hide-and-go-seek thing isn't like God's hiding from you in your trouble. And I want to just say this with power as I've studied all week. God said, seek me and you will find me. He doesn't hide from you like your friends did when you'd say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Ready or not, here I come. Because what your friends did was hide in the dark. When God said, seek me and you will find me, He didn't mean like God's hiding from you. He meant like if you would just set your soul, your mind, your heart on seeking me in your affliction, if, if you would do this, He's not hiding like your friends. He's saying, I guarantee you, you will find me. I promise you in this affliction, you will find me. I'm spitting all over the place. Never sit on the front row. I try. It's a trap. I, I invite people all the time to the front row. They don't last long. Amen. Amen. In a practical way, we need this, don't we? Amen. We need this. We need to know that if we set our heart and our soul. You, you want to go home and do a great word study this week? Search the areas of Scripture where he talks about setting your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 4. Start your work in the Scriptures on the Word of God. You will find that he said, if you'll set your heart and your soul, your mind in this position, I'm making sure you find me. Amen. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? We see it also in the text we read in the beginning. Christ had been tempted for 40 days before the devil came with his accusation. This wasn't one of 40 days. If you read the scripture text, this was the 40th day. We only have one day of this temptation recorded here. The other 39, we're going to have to find out in eternity. But I know by the 40th day, you're really hungry naturally, and you fought a good long fight. And Christ came, and at the end of it, he could turn stone to bread, but he didn't have to for the devil. 
Amen. He could do it, but he didn't. And in this time, I believe there was a vulnerability that he's shown to us not only as God, but as man. He was, also, he was the Son of God. Amen. But he was also very much humanity. He was born of a woman. He bled real blood. He was breathing real air. He was actually really hungry for 40 days. And on the 40th day, it's amazing how the devil waits till the 40th day before he comes. He waits in these times of extreme affliction until the very day. Have you ever woke up in the time of affliction and on that day, you know this is going to be a tough day for me and this is the day. He didn't come the 39 days before as we see recorded here. But on the 40th day, on the day you say, I'm not sure I can do this anymore, I believe you have an environment all of a sudden for the sneaky snake to squeeze up next to you and say, did God really say this? He's trying to steal the promise, twist the truth. We are most vulnerable in the times of great affliction. Number three. When the Christian is about to do great things for the glory of God, this is a time we need to be aware you can be vulnerable. This is a time when you're about to do something God has asked you. And I know as we've been preparing for this crusade in November, uh, we can feel the pressure on in different areas. God is about to get glory. We believe that there... I'll tell you, let me, can I tell you what I've been seeing in this move? in a practical way. I see a group of like college age group. I believe it's like a, a beehive of called people into ministry, like missionaries and pastors. I think they're all in one. It's, it's, it's supernatural. This is God at work as we pray. And I meet them. In. One's a young minister that's never been able to preach. And so you heard him preach here at the church Sunday night. He's preached twice since then. They thought I was going to preach Sunday night or Friday night. I said, oh, no way. We want to put the young preachers up there. Amen? Because the Bible says you have 10,000 instructors but not many fathers. So what differentiates a father from just an instructor is that he puts those who are coming up before him all the time in all places. So if I took Malachi when he's five years old fishing and all I did was set him next to me and fish and catch fish and yell how big a fish I caught, I would be selfish. But if when I went out to the pond, my first concern was not with what I caught, but with what he caught. And then I would bait his hook, and I'd get him a little Snoopy pole, right? And I would begin to do this, and I'd make sure that, because he couldn't cast it yet when he was five. We hate to tell people that, Malachi, but you was still casting it in the trees, you know. <laughs> okay. But what I would do is make sure I put that cork right where I knew he would catch it. Are you with me? That's the heart of a father because what I want to see Malachi do is have this wonderful joy of catching a fish. Amen? And that is like the heart of a father. Doesn't every father want to see their children just catch fish? And doesn't the heart of God want to make fishers out of us? And doesn't He set us in spots to make sure when you cast the Word of God out like bread on the water, it doesn't return void, but you're actually going to catch something? Are you with me? Like He's not just in hide and go seek hiding. He's making sure you find Him, making sure you catch something with what you found. Isn't that wonderful? It was wonderful to me if it wasn't to you. Amen. So. <laughs> uh, one example in the Scriptures was with Paul and Barnabas. If you're taking notes, please write down Acts chapter 15, verse 36. What had happened here was Paul and Barnabas 
uh, had just set themselves to go and encourage new believers. They were going to go to every city and encourage everybody. Are you with me? Hey, they're about to do great things for God, right? You know what the enemy did? This was a time of vulnerability. They were about to do great things for the Lord. And what happens in the midst of this is God begins to cause division between Paul and Barnabas. There was such division that they had to separate and go separate ways. So you see how vulnerable we can be when we're about to do great things for the Lord. It's darkest just before dawn. The darkest part of the night just before the sun comes up. I worked night shift years ago. And I just remember it was coldest and darkest just those few hours before dawn. I mean, just dark. Everything was laid down. And all of a sudden, you saw the sun begin to peek up. And that's the way it is in the times when God's about to use our lives as weak as they are to produce such abundant fruit in Jesus Christ. Expect that as if it's getting darkest that you've ever seen in your affliction, that God is about to bring the sun, the S-O-N, into the situation and give light. Amen. We need that hope. Amen. Number four. When the Christian's alone, the temptation can be great. Uh, Years ago, I remember preaching and saying, you don't know who you really are till you know who you are when you're all by yourself. This is when hidden parts of sin creep themselves to the forefront. Are you with me? Everybody's quiet. (laughs) And we have the illustration in Genesis with Eve. The serpent did not approach Eve when she was with her husband. The serpent waited for her to be alone. He also used what was present as an advantage to speak a lie to her. So he used this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was also, I thought of something natural just last night I was thinking about this. Just the natural side of her probably wanting to feed her husband. And this looked very tempting. If you do this, you'll be like God. Isn't it tempting at times and how the enemy will tempt us in a season when we're all alone? And when you are alone, you can find yourself vulnerable. You can also find yourself on the opposite side, very faithful to God. You can have your heart tried in the lonely time. You can get quiet in a closet with you and God. Him speak something to your heart out of the Word of God and give you a power and a passion to preach it from the housetop. Are you with me? So not all loneliness is born in sin, but Loneliness itself, if you are not on the rock and the Word of God solidly, will support itself to the voice of the adversary speaking when you're all by yourself. Now, he said to her, if you do this, you'll be like God. And the temptation is always to do something trying to be like God. And had she went back, we studied at our home meeting this week, and said, guess what, Adam? Um, and she should have said, you know what, uh, I'm starting to really buy into this, but let me go, hold on a second. You see what I mean? Okay, no one's like, okay. So Adam is the head of this home. I've already told you, just because something's moving in our generation doesn't mean the Word of God moves. Amen. Husbands are made to be the head, the spiritual head of the home. To be the protector. And every time that's out of order, I promise you disaster. Hello? God wasn't mean to the ladies. He knew what order things were to be done in. You come into my pasture a few years ago, I thought I could lead the bull through the gate by shaking a bucket of feed. Never do that again. 
because he wasn't playing. I mean, this nice little bull, I was out there shaking, rattling like it's like rattling a whatever, a rattle. And all of a sudden, I watched his head change. And when he come running, it wasn't bouncing around playing. And I, I ran for my life, jumped the fence. The ground was frozen. I heard my ribs break when they hit the ground. I didn't care. He was going to kill me. Are you with me? Now, can I, tell, can I give you a basic truth out of this? He's made to protect that pasture. And man, and, but that next, I, you want me to tell you what I said the next morning? Do anyone have an eat beef on the front of their vehicle? Please raise your hand. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is by the grace of God. He gave me dominion over that animal. I'm telling you. Anyway, I whispered I, as I barely could breathe and took the feet out. I said, I will eat you one day. <laughs> it was true. He will be hamburger, but... Are you with me? But I can tell you another thing. I didn't tell him. I will never get in your pasture again. Amen. Okay. So the bull did his job. Amen. I was out there rattling around. I'm not the bull. He is. And it didn't take long. Now, if somebody attacks our home in the night, you know what I'm going to do. Julie, get up and get them. No. Amen. You understand what I'm saying. You, you see the point. Had Eve went back to Adam and said, Adam, the devil said to me, if I did this, I would be like God. Adam could have said, honey, we're already made in the image of God. You don't have to do anything. Don't let him lie and deceive you to try to do something to be like God. We're already made like him. And notice in the New Testament, the charge is laid to Adam's transgression. Even though she fell to the tempter, she found herself alone in the presence of a situation. And she found herself lied to and believing the lie and carrying it back to her home and giving it to her own house. And the transgression of mankind now has been conveyed. I think it's a powerful testimony. Number two in this, please do not have conversation with the adversary. I'm asking you to read the Word of God. Hold your mind there. Hold your life there in those times when you're unsure of what to do. Let God be the support because the conversation of the adversary when you are lonely will tend to be sinful. Wow, it's heavy. Amen. I don't know how we're doing on time. Okay. Number five. After great manifestations of God's love to you, you can actually be vulnerable. And scripturally, if you're taking notes to look when you get home, Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, God had just blessed Peter for being the rock who believed and how the gates of hell will not prevail. And it wasn't but a handful of verses till he had to rebuke Peter as the very Satan who would diminish his crucifixion. And so we see in these times of glory and the times of great love, I've noticed naturally in my own life, at times I was really worked up and driving toward a goal, whether it was work or otherwise, that after I would achieve that goal, it seems like my body's natural ability to defend itself, that's when I would get the flu. 
Now, I don't know how that is for you, but it's always been that way for me. It's like while I was working toward the goal and getting the job done or whatever it may be, I was good. But as soon as it was I was like, <sighs> then you'd let that wind out. And boy, pretty soon the next step, you go, oh, I'm not feeling very good. And you see this happen with Peter. I mean, hey, Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ. You are the Son of God. I mean, nothing can be more solidly stated than his confession at this point. And it's not but a few verses. Jesus talks about his death, and he's just like, you know, you don't need to do this. And Jesus identifies the one that he loves and just gave comfort to and says, get behind me, Satan, the thing that just came out of you is not true. Amen. Are you able to identify what is not truth? And how would you do that? Because it's so persuasive to have many things said in order. Doesn't it sound good if you went to work or you went to uh, friends or to a meeting or out to eat and they start to talk about all the social changes and how maybe it's okay. Are you able to find yourself solidly in the Word of God? Do you know how to defend your faith? Do you know how to fight this with meekness? And being able to show that there's a work in your life of solidarity. I mean, is the Word of God coming forward? Or are we just sitting around battling each other intellectually? Can you state one verse and stop the mouth of the whole gainsayer? I mean, I remember a time I was among a friend of mine was being eaten up individually on a Christian apologetic situation. There was over a hundred. And a, a particular group was especially eating them up uh, intellectually. And I remember uh, just thinking, man... This isn't good. You know what I mean? Like, this doesn't sound good. And so I held my hand up and I said, Hey, who thinks he's a fool? And nothing happened. And so they started going again. I yelled again, Hey, who thinks this man's a fool for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? And they bit on the bait. And he said, yes, we think he's a fool. The very one's disputing my friend for preaching the gospel and defending the word of God. Now they were saying they believe it's total foolishness. And as I stepped in and exchanged with him, I said, preaching the gospel is foolishness to those who perish. And it's the power of God to those who believe in his name. I've served you your first warning. You may be perishing before God tonight if you think my friend preaching the gospel is a foolish man. The foolish man's a hearer and's not a doer. But God's got 7,000 in this generation who's never bowed their knee to Baal. There's not just one or two good ones. He's bringing them from everywhere. Amen. And last but not least, I say that at the time of our death, we can be tried. And although the adversary cannot stop the work and the assurance of Jesus Christ and eternal life, he cannot stop you from entering heaven, he will at all costs Try to make sure you're marred up just a little bit when you get there. I'd never forget some years ago, I can't state the name for podcast's sake. But I remember in a family that I knew very well, and the grandfather was dying. Tremendous, faithful man all of his life. And they called me on the phone. They said, Grandpa wants to talk with you. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. And I thought, man, what about, you know... This is a solid man. He's the patriarch of the family, just in the house of God, doing what's right. And I walked into that room and closed the door, and he was also a very private man in the generation, much more private than 
what our generation is today. And he said, Aaron, I want you to know it's though I'm living the sin of my youth when I wasn't serving the Lord. It's being, it's like interesting. I'm like, whoa, this man's been washed by the blood. And I knew not to say anything. But when I, when I begin to think of this time when, when the enemy will try to get in there and just mar you a little bit before you get there, I prayed with him and I come back a few days later and I ask him and I could tell before I even asked, how you doing? He said, the peace of God has passed all of my understanding. I thank God that the last trial of his faith he had found upon the bed of his death and he had found God faithful and peaceful. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And as excited as we were, I get back to the first as I close and ask, we begin to just give you an invitation as excited as we was about the baby last week and the congregation that was just so newborn, do you realize this is how excited God is as we pass from death to life? That there's a joy in eternity knowing that another child of God is entering eternity. I say to you in humility, I have found myself in many of these situations and seasons, and I give them to you and pray and asking that you find your truths on the Word of God, that you build your life there, that you wouldn't trust your own thinking in a present affliction, that you wouldn't trust the reasoning of others unless it's a wise counsel upon the Word of God. I ask you, and then I invite you to stand to your feet. I invite you to an altar today. Where the same God who said, seek me and you'll find me. I invite you there with confidence knowing he wants you to find him in your situation. In all seasons of life. Paul talked about serving. And I know it's quiet. I want it to be quiet. It wasn't in all the storms or the moving, the earthquakes. It was a still, small voice. And maybe the conviction in your heart today is not one that you failed God. If it is, I ask you to come to the altar and be born again. Confess your sins. And let the blood of Jesus Christ make you white like snow. But today, maybe the conviction is to say, I want you to agree with the word of God and the work of Jesus in your situation. It is the final authority. It's the final truth. My prayer is that not only the church, but that every one of your lives would hold the word of God supreme. No matter what it looks like, it would be first and foremost. Would you come to the altars as we worship?